0: Anderson afternoons the podcast hello there and coming up on the podcast if meth is a crisis why aren't we treating it like one a couple guests will join us Dane Bourget of Jib Stop and NDP boss Wab Canoe also on the podcast Elton Ash from Remax on house prices in Winnipeg and Andrea Cates on Winnipeg fitness trends for the new year please subscribe to the podcast Please rate the podcast, and now, the podcast. Is meth really a crisis? We're calling it a crisis. The mayor uh, testifying before a parliamentary committee today on the meth crisis. Everybody calls it a crisis. Are we behaving as though... It's a crisis. I don't think we are.
1: I don't think anyone knows what to do. I think that's the bottom. Like if, in my opinion, no. I don't think anyone knows what to do. I think they're saying the right things because I think it's pretty clear what's going on. But I don't think I don't think they have heads or tails or any sort of idea as to how they're going to even come close to handling this. And I, I don't know how you how you do as well. Like um, I don't even know where you'd start on this issue.
0: I think you just said something. You said uh, I think people uh, uh, people are are talking about it. Yeah. But I don't, there's action too, don't get me wrong, it's not completely inactive on the meth front, but I don't think it's getting the attention that something called a crisis should be getting. I agree with you. I want to play one more clip here from uh, testimony and answers to questions from the Federal Standing Committee on Health today. Our mayor Brian Bowman, spoke, and here's a, a clip of him talking about the rise of meth.
2: Take a listen. Uh, meth is uh, not a new drug to the world, uh, but um, as I've come uh, to learn from those with lived experiences, uh, meth is uh, highly destructive to the individuals using it, as well as our community in uh, significant ways. Uh, meth doesn't have uh, the same danger with overdose. Uh, we've been told the Drug is, of course, highly addictive and with excessive and repeated use can cause users to behave in ways that are violent and unpredictable. Uh, I've learned from presentations by stakeholders that there are many impacts related to the addictions that come from mental health issues and what we're experiencing in Winnipeg uh, is more citizens that are being directly impacted and even more indirectly as a result of the actions of violence. Uh, associated with the drugs that we're seeing uh, right now on our street.
0: Mayor Brian Bowman earlier today talking to the Federal Standing Committee on Health. And joining us now on the phone, one of the founders of Jibstop, Dane Bourget. Good afternoon, Dane. Good afternoon, Hal. How are you? Excellent. Thanks a lot for doing this. I've been wanting to talk to you for a while, and I think today's the right day. We're talking a lot about the meth crisis, but before we get into that,
2: Tell me a bit about Jibstop. Jib is slang for meth, correct? Yes, that's correct, Hal. So Jibstop is a peer-to-peer support service that we've set up to help people get into recovery and just offer guidance and support and advice from people who have already navigated this system and come through the other side.
0: And are you one of those people?
2: Yes, sir. Yes, I am. And you've got a partner as well. Do you want to talk a bit about him? Sure. So, one of the co-founders, or the other co-founder, his name is Robert, and we've uh, we've both been battling addiction for, well, inactive addiction for over 10 years with meth in the city. And, uh, yeah, we just, we're seeing all these holes in the current system, and we're just trying to do what we can to kind of plug those holes and step in on a volunteer basis. How did you get clean, Dean? You know, it was just through c- continued support, and just being shown away by people who had already been through it prior to me. Um, there's no one real thing, I think, that clicked. It was just a combination of dealing with my mental health, with, with social issues that I was going through, with personal issues, and just just kind of everything clicked together. Like, I, I didn't get sober my first time. I'd been to or to AFM multiple times. I've been to Anchorage. I've been to many different treatment facilities. And then just eventually, if someone keeps going and they keep having support, this it does click and they choose to get better.
0: We'll get out there how uh, people in need can find Jibstop, find you guys. But I want to take the conversation in this direction. You know, we've got the mayor talking to a parliamentary, testifying before a parliamentary committee today. We've got everybody saying it's a meth crisis. And yet, I don't feel like government is addressing this as a crisis. I think there's a lot of talk and no
2: action. Well, exactly, and you know, words are just wind, and they don't really mean too much unless there's actually follow-up. So we need commitment from from the municipal government, which I I've, I believe um, the mayor is more than willing as well as from the provincial and the federal government. And it isn't as easy as saying, okay, here's five extra detox beds at the Health Science Center or something like that. Because the fact remains if somebody goes in, they the Health Science Center or or wherever they aren't equipped to deal with this. And so we need facilities like the Oak Recovery Center. Absolutely. I think that's that's good. Um I I don't know too much exactly about their model, but from what I've heard, they plan on being a long-term facility, which I think is absolutely necessary. Mm. So there's, in my opinion, there's three main stages of recovery, or maybe even four. So the first one, obviously, is detox, and then the second one is some sort of treatment facility for these people to to go and kind of have a break from using and look at what's going on with their lives and kind of just have that clear-out time. And then thirdly, and possibly the most important, is some kind of long-term supportive housing where they have uh, rules and regulations to follow and, and, they, and they keep up with the recovery. Because if you just send someone to AFM for 28 days and, and they get out and they are just going right back to the same apartment that they used in with the same people, then that's not going to be enough. And the chance of success is, success is greatly diminished. I'm not sure if
0: you can speak to this or not, Dane, but do you think that at least in the short term, we need more cops on the street as well to deal with some of the issues that come with the meth crisis?
2: Absolutely. That's a big part of it, too, is the the city's ability to police this issue and keep the safety of everybody in the forefront of their minds, basically. Um, so we've seen such a major increase in the amount of arrests, the amount of violent instances, the amount of people on meth with guns, hostage situations, carjackings. And so if you have this 500% increase in all of these, okay, well, okay, I kind of made that number up, but like, that's what it seems to me. It seems to be really, really a lot more prevalent than it was 10 years ago. Right. And you don't have more, you don't have more police to, to deal with that. Then they're going to be stretched thinner. And it's, not going to be effective.
0: So I'm not off base then when I feel like we're calling it a crisis, but we're not treating it like a crisis.
2: No, I think that's that's you've kind of hit the nail on the head there, Hal. Like this has to come from all levels of government, from all people. Like we have nonprofit organizations doing the bulk of the work, and I think that is a major problem. Um, like you have places like St. Boniface Street Links. Uh, they run Moorburg House. And in my opinion, they have one of the best models that I've seen because people are allowed to have housing and they're allowed to deal with their issues and they keep in contact and they keep a tab on these people and they know what's going on. And like if somebody has a relapse or something like that, they're not just kicked out on the street. They're, they're continued to get the help and... We don't really see that type of commitment from the, from the government agencies that are running these other other places.
0: Dane, if somebody out there is listening and needs the help of you and Jibstop, how do they get that help?
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. They can call or text us at 204-904-STOP. We also have a Facebook page. They can go on there, search us on Facebook, Jibstop, uh, send us a message, like I say, text us about anything, and we'll uh, we're more than willing to give our advice, be a friend, listen, just kind of give support and let them know how to go through the system. Dane, I'm sure we'll talk again. Thanks a lot for this. Thanks, Al. Okay, bye for now.
0: Joining us here in just a moment, we're going to talk to him in just... I want to play a clip here of Andrew Swan. Here's what Andrew Swan had to say today.
1: We've gone from from breaking bad to breaking worse. We've known for some time the impacts on public safety. Now, through these documents, we better understand the impact on public health in Manitoba.
0: NDP health critic Andrew Swan reacting to these documents. Wab Kanu, NDP leader, thank you for coming in studio today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So these documents, uh, essentially they're saying there are diseases out there, a lot of them,
1: Mm -hmm. being caused by the meth crisis. Have I got that right? Yeah, and it's dirty needles in particular that's driving this. So you're seeing rates, and this is predominantly over the last year and a half, last two years, you're seeing rates of hepatitis B and C, HIV, HIV, syphilis uh, start to go through the roof and we know that there's way more clean needles being distributed. The other thing these documents say is the reason why you got to give out way more needles is because way more people are using needles to shoot drugs. So these documents from the WRHA show that the meth crisis is leading to way more people using needles, uh, potentially out in the street, potentially leaving them in schoolyards or alleyways, wherever around town. But now... It's also leading to the spread of diseases. So what used to be the meth crisis and we're thinking about like, well, that's too bad if there's a drug user in an alley somewhere and that's too bad if they're breaking windows – Now it's also a public health issue. Now it can cause somebody to get sick. Even if they're not using drugs, Mm -hmm. maybe they just had contact with somebody who was using drugs. Yeah, they get hep C or whatever. It spreads, right? Right. And so this is a, a pretty concerning new development in this whole issue because all of a sudden it has the potential to spread the impacts in a very real, very concrete impact on someone's health beyond just the immediate drug users themselves.
0: Yeah, you're right because I think a lot of times people say, well, the meth crisis, you know, Maybe it affects some of us with property crime or things like that, but you're right. Now, it's not just that person uh, using and and injecting and, and abusing meth. Now
1: other Manitobans and Winnipegs are being uh, Winnipeggers are being impacted yeah because like you saw this story probably about the police officer who uh, you know was doing a search on somebody yeah. and they're, they're, they're they 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 were stabbed. yeah they were pricked by uh, mm-hmm. a needle uh, bear clan patrol earlier this year their leader he got uh, you know stabbed with a needle um, and again like you just think about like the night nightlife scene in Winnipeg there's all sorts of different contact between people here so there's yeah. all these different ways where even if you're not using, even you're not, uh, you know, part of that world now, potentially there's a real life impact mm. that could, uh, could be with you for a long time.
0: Is this now maybe those people that have, you've been an advocate of, of clean injection sites. Is this yeah. now some people out there that have not liked that idea? Maybe they now say, well, yeah, maybe this is a good idea.
1: I hope so because, you know, what, I, what I've what i told you before is you don't have to like a clean injection site, but it works. Mm-hmm. It's like Buckley's cough syrup, right? You don't have to like it, but yeah. it works. And so if we see that these diseases are spreading, that the WRHA is calling it an outbreak and it's an outbreak tied to meth use. That's the wording used in, in this, the documents? Yeah, this is not uh, political speak. This is from the, the experts who wrote the documents themselves. They're talking about an outbreak. Um if we can have a site where people can get the clean supplies, where people uh, are potentially going to be able to access treatment and uh, you know be supervised if they overdose, something like that, that's at least a place where you can reduce the spread of these diseases, where you can reduce the spread of the infections. And that is a good public health policy. So I hope that this does start to uh, spur action, not just in the minds of the average person listening to this, but also the government. The government has been slow to act. And the other aspect of these documents is that it says, and this is a quote here, it says, a lack of provincial leadership, that's a direct quote, a lack of provincial leadership has exacerbated the problem here. So because the government's been waiting many months, uh, pretty much a a year uh, since they've been getting these statistics, the problem is getting worse. More people are getting sick, more people are getting addicted. And so the time to act is now. And we have not heard
0: yet from the Pallister government, right? That's still the case or, or have they reacted at well, all?
1: Well, yeah, I think the, the Minister of Health uh, did, a, did a scrum and, you know, he, he talked about some of the initiatives that they've, they've, they've announced. But again, going back to these documents we released today, one of the things that's pointed out in the documents is that, you know, this plan to close the emergency rooms around Winnipeg. So the government added six new drug treatment beds. But when the ERs close as part of that plan for closures, those six treat, drug treatment beds are going to be taken away. So even the, some of the half measures and, and steps that have been announced today, they're not up to the task. It's not enough to keep pace with an outbreak of disease or with all the other issues that meth is bringing to the streets in Winnipeg.
0: So I started, the, because we're going to talk to, uh, in a second we're going to talk with one of the founders of Stop, and, and you know that uh, organization a bit, I've Jib, Jib yeah. is slang for, for meth, and so we're going to talk to Dane right away. Um, I started my show today with, we're calling it a meth crisis, but are we treating it like a crisis? And the people that I've talked to that listen to me so far seem to agree with me. I'm going to see what Dane says about this. I feel like if it is truly a crisis, there's a lot of talk going on and not a whole lot of action. Some stuff's being done. Um, how do you feel about that? Where do you come down on that question?
1: Well, I think that it's it's not enough what we've seen so far when, when we see a, a natural disaster sort of crisis. Yeah, it's all hands on up. deck. Cots are in yeah, community centers. exactly. Everyone's there. But this issue, even though there's hundreds of people going to the ER every month, there's many, many uh, people getting sick. There's all these other issues like crime and all the spin off effects of the meth crisis. We've only seen like, okay, well, here's a couple hours at a clinic over here. And here's a couple beds that are going to be open for a few months over there. But there's nothing of the scale to respond to the fact that hundreds and thousands of families across Manitoba are being affected by this either directly because they have an addict uh, in their family that uh, is not getting the treatment that they need, or because uh, they've been affected by a property crime, or perhaps they've uh, gotten an infection off of uh, one of uh, you know these different uh, illnesses that we're talking about. So it really is um, a situation where I think the public realizes that we're a crisis. We're at a crisis stage, but the government, and I should say the federal government's been also slow to respond to, not just the province. Well, I think all three levels of government have been slow. Yeah, and so they really need to match. This is a crisis. People are increasingly aware. We see all the different uh, dimensions of it. So now we need to get the treatment. We need to get the uh, the harm reduction approaches, and it's not like a safe injection site is a silver bullet that's going to solve the problem. No, right. that's not the situation. Really what you want to do is people are sticking needles in their arm because they have some kind of issue in their life that they can't deal with in a healthy way, right. so they're using an unhealthy way. Let's get them the treatment so that they can get towards dealing with whatever issue they have in a healthy way, and then that's when we're going – when we deal with the root cause that is addiction – then we'll be able to have the health issue and the public safety issue, the crime issue, dealt with uh, for the long term. Wab well, Canoop, thank you very much. Appreciate your time.
0: Uh, joining us on the phone now to talk about the housing market here in Winnipeg is uh, Elton Ash. He is the executive vice president of REMAX. Played a clip there of your competition, Elton, going into our interview. Sorry about that. Um, They are predicting a 1.3% rise in home prices in Winnipeg. You guys, uh, your picture at REMAX is even rosier for Winnipeg house prices.
3: Well, we're a little more bullish about where Winnipeg's going, Uh, certainly from the housing market. You know, you have 15,000 people a year moving to Manitoba, and Winnipeg being the greatest beneficiary of that, uh, from markets like Toronto and Vancouver, where prices are substantially higher than uh, than what Winnipeg is experiencing.
0: What increases? Uh, it's about 4%. I don't have it in front of me. I looked at it earlier.
3: Yes, we're looking uh, at about a 4% price increase for the city of Winnipeg for 2019, as, uh, as market pretty much is in balanced conditions there.
0: Yeah, you would call it a balanced market, eh? It doesn't really benefit the seller or the buyer.
3: That's true. Inventory levels are, are holding very stable. Overall, uh, demand for Winnipeg is also stable. and Winnipeg is one of those great markets in the country that uh, you know, doesn't see the huge highs and lows that markets like Calgary or Vancouver or Toronto experience. So much more uh, balanced and predictable.
0: Yeah, and are you seeing an average home price of uh, a little over 300,000 as well? Is that what you're seeing for the new year?
3: That's true. It's going to be in that $325,000 range. Yeah. So a
0: 4% jump in in prices. I mean, that's uh, as you said, that's that's bullish for Winnipeg.
3: Well, we're certainly seeing that strong, steady market staying in place for Winnipeg compared to other markets across the country. So in a in a way Winnipeg is a bit of an outlier compared to Toronto, Vancouver, and Calgary, as an example. If you look at Regina and Saskatoon, we're seeing price depreciation occur in those markets, and that's due to the resource sector in the prairies right now. And uh, interest
0: rate hikes, more interest rate hikes, not a worry uh, at REMAX. And uh, we had, of course, new mortgage rules that came in, making it a little more difficult for people to buy a home. Any of that uh, of concern or, or not really?
3: Well, that is the only negative factor for the Winnipeg and Manitoba market. When we look at the rest of the country, uh, the new stress test, the B20 stress test, where they have to qualify for 2% higher than the five-year posted rate, is having uh, a much stronger effect uh, across markets across the country. Nationally, we're only going to see about a 1.7% price increase across the country, and that's due mainly to those higher interest rates. We're anticipating the Bank of Canada to look at two interest rates hikes through 2019, and that's been tempered from previous forecasts. And that's mainly due to the Ontario situation with GM's recent announcement and and the resource sector in Western Canada.
0: And you're right. You know, Winnipeg's increases uh, over the years in home prices has been more, you know, steady as she goes. And we've certainly seen uh, good jumps, but they've been gradual other cities, like, you know, we hear about Vancouver and Toronto, and you mentioned Calgary with the oil uh, playing a role there. I mean, some of these other cities, we're seeing big swings in prices, aren't we?
3: Well, 20, you know, the last five years in Vancouver and Toronto have been double-digit price increases. And, and, you know, that that gravy train, I suppose, can't go on forever. Uh, everything's cyclical, and uh, Vancouver, through government intervention more than anything, with the foreign buyer tax, the anti-so-called speculation tax, vacancy taxes, uh, property transfer taxes, I mean, uh, the government's uh, various municipalities in B.C. are trying to tax their way out of, into a more affordable issue. It's really a supply side. And then we get to Calgary, which uh, saw great increases. But four years ago, that all came to a standstill when the oil price crash occurred. So it's great to be in Winnipeg, you know, where things are much steadier and much more predictable.
0: Anything else you wanted to say about the housing market here in Winnipeg before I let you go, Elton?
3: Well, I think the big thing is that uh, you can you can be pretty well assured that it's in balanced market conditions for the city. Uh, The rest of the country looks at that enviously right now, and that we're seeing movement to Winnipeg from centers like Toronto and Vancouver where they see a great affordable lifestyle and a great community to live. Elton, thanks a lot. Appreciate your time. You're welcome.
0: (music) Andrea Cates is here from Fit Communications and Fit Women and Girls. I have heard you before on the start. Thank you for coming on this show. I appreciate it.
4: Well, thanks for having me. Yeah.
0: I saw a list that you sent out uh, the other day, and I thought, boy, i got to get her in here to talk about some of this stuff. Fitness trends for 2019 here in Winnipeg. The one that really caught my eye, (laughs) Ninja Warrior Gym. It's a thing. What is that?
4: <laughs> so I think if you were to think about that show that's on TV, like the ninja, that ninja show, it's yeah. something similar to that, but on a Winnipeg scale. So there's two gyms that are doing some really cool things in the new year. One being the Canadian Fight Center, which is run by Giuseppe Di Natale. He's got a new facility in St. Boniface, and he has boxing, kickboxing, grappling, wrestling. He's a seven-time national international champion, so really cool things that he's doing over there. And then Winnipeg Women's Kickboxing, which is just actually around the corner from here in St. James, um, they're doing a boss lady boot camp. Um, Starting in January, so they're doing everything sort like from the combative state, so boxing, kickboxing, and muay thai. But then they're also combining in some lots of core work and squats and lots of um, weights and stuff like that as well.
0: So is it safe to say then that one of the trends for fitness in the new year is there being a point to the? You know, you don't just go running, or you don't go and work out with weights. There's kind of a point to it. There's a theme or, or is that is that a trend?
4: For sure. I definitely think there is that that piece of it and yeah. also the piece of doing it as a group. So some people do maybe like going on a treadmill and or, or going on their own and doing a weights program. Great. Yeah. But some people like that extra motivation to be in a group setting. And so a kickboxing or boxing and that kind of thing might be what they're looking for because it's it has that group piece of it. Mm. But also you're learning something at the same time.
0: Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. you said it much better than yeah. I tried to say it. Uh, Natalie Reimer Anderson, you've got her down as a self love coach, and I've got a couple of therapists that come on the show every week, and we talk about. Uh, you know, uh, talking to yourself positively, but I've never heard that term before, self-love coach.
4: For sure. So her her coaching is really from a cellular level on how to love yourself. So it's great if we're all in the gym and we're doing our best to sort of be healthy um, in various ways, but if you don't have it in your mind about being healthy and positive, then you, then you're kind of going to be short lived with your gym routines or eating healthy. So for her perspective is let's start at a cellular level and get healthy. And then we can make really smart decisions about how we can um, be healthier in other aspects of our lives, with our nutrition or with our um, with our physical fitness. And I hear that
0: all the time now too, cellular, cellular mm. level, cellular function. For
4: sure. So that
0: seems to be a bit of a buzzword in fitness.
4: It definitely is. So it's the idea of getting, it's not just about your body, but your, bind, your body, your mind, and your soul. And so Natalie has a program starting in January called Crave that um, sort of Helps people get there so that they can make those healthy healthy decisions for the year.
0: So those are the ones that kind of stuck out for me, but there are many others. So uh, go through a few.
4: Yeah, another big one is um, more high intensity interval training. So the idea of that is, for example, you run for one minute and then walk for thirty seconds, or you do. Can I just
0: do the walk part?
4: Yeah, do I have to
0: do the run part too? You can do
4: whatever you want. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. (laughs) Good. Okay,
0: I like you already. You're you're coming back for a second visit on the show already.
4: (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) So it's just doing like, get your heart rate up nice and hard and nice and fast and you burn a sweat and then don't stop so that it completely ends, but then just do something on a little bit of a lighter scale for a short period of time and then do that again. So for example, with the example of the running, you would do that maybe, you know, the one minute run, 30 second walk, and you'd do that about 15 to 20 times. So working yourself up to that um, Mm -hmm. as, you know, depending on what your fitness level is, and that's really good for a fat burning and cardiovascular workout. Yeah. So, and the other thing, again, is that the group fitness. So, you know, I think... Doing it with others. Doing it with others, right? right? Like I said earlier, some people really do like going and doing it on their own, but that can be short-lived. That's why we see so much of an influx at gyms in the new year because everybody has health, um, you know, health goals for the year, yeah. but then they kind of fall off because maybe they don't have somebody holding them accountable in a group setting. You get that motivation of the group, but then there's also the accountability that you have, that you have, you know, the people that you're seeing all the time mm-hmm. or the coach that's teaching you to kind of get you to make sure you're coming back for more.
0: Yeah. My mom recently moved into in Southern Alberta, recently moved into, uh, an assisted living home. Okay. And I'm very excited about this because now she has a social life. And one of the things they do is regular exercise. Exercise. Mm-hmm. They get together and, and they do this. Mm-hmm. And I think as we get older, our parents or or even us, if we're listening now and we're older or, or whatever, mm-hmm. I think, that, you know, physical activity becomes more important as we get older, isn't it?
4: It definitely is. I mean, it doesn't just help with one thing, right? So it's great for your heart. It's great for your balance. It's great for your muscles, your bones. So there's so many different aspects of physical activity that help you with your health. Um, And then it's the social piece as well. I know a big thing is they have top-notch CrossFit. A big piece of their CrossFit gym is the community aspect of it. Um, And so it's not just about coming in and sweating and going hard and then leaving, but it's somewhere where you sort of have a bit of a family of fitness.
0: Yeah. Andrea Cates from uh, Fit Communications and Fit Women and Girls. For people that don't know about uh, Fit Women and Girls, maybe just talk about that for because uh, it's a real passion for you.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So myself and my, my sister and partner is Alison Gervais, um, and we do a ton of stuff in Winnipeg to get girls um, ages 5 to 15 motivated and involved in more sport and activity. So yeah. always looking for cool new things to bring to the girls in the city.
0: Excellent. Well, I love your list of uh, trends, of fitness Thank trends you. for Winnipeg for 2019, and, and thanks a lot for coming in and telling us about it.
4: Thanks for having me.